despite all of our technological advances, we can't kill it. Despite billions and billions of dollars spent over, the, over years and years of time, it still remains the second leading cause of death in the United States. Despite all of our warnings that we put out there and all the conversations we have on how to avoid it, 40% of all Americans will be diagnosed with it. And sadly for many, they'll die of it. My first close encounter with cancer, I was in college. And I remember I was with my sister. She was a few years older than me in her early 20s. And she started complaining about shoulder pain. And I kind of thought, well, you've never been the toughest person in the world, so it's probably not a big deal, you know. And so, but eventually she kept complaining, and so my parents said, well, let's go to a doctor. So she went to the doctor, and he said, well, here's some ibuprofen. It's probably inflammation, and then come back in a month. So a month went by, and the pain didn't go away. In fact, the pain started to spread throughout her chest into the other shoulder. So she went to another doctor, and he said, okay, well, you know, let's do a couple x-rays of that shoulder, because sometimes the way the nerves are, the pain can spread. And so he took an x-ray and said, well, your shoulder looks fine. So here's, you know, a stronger pain med. Six months go by, and the pain has gotten so severe that at times her heart started to erratically race, and it was hard to breathe. And so at that point, we all were taking it pretty seriously, and we said, okay, well, we got to get a lot of doctors' opinions. So one doctor said, okay, we got to do some scans. we got to figure this thing out. And I'll never forget that morning. I was a senior in college, I was standing out in my front yard, and my mom walked out, and she had this look on her face that you never want to see your mom have the look of. She said, hey, well, we need to talk. I said, okay. Your sister has cancer. And I said, well, okay, you know, a lot of people get cancer, and she's young, she's in her early 20s, it's probably, you know, she'll be fine. And she's like, well, no, it's stage four, and it's spread throughout her entire body, and it's crushing her organs, and that's why her heart's racing, and she can't breathe. And I said, well, what, is, what, is that, what does that mean? And she said, well, it means that the doctors are saying that she's probably not going to make it. And in fact, she probably has a few weeks to live. And I'll never I can never get out of my head after that moment of everywhere I went after that, I started to see the warnings on the walls. Have you guys seen them? You go into a restaurant and it says, warning, if you eat this, you might what? Get cancer, right? Or there's chemicals used here, you're probably going to get cancer. And, and I started, it's not, it wasn't an obsession, but I couldn't get it out of my mind. Ever. I mean, I even opened my Bible and it said, warning, the leather in here may cause cancer. I like, oh, can't read my Bible anymore. Um, but, you know, you open the fridge and you get the eggs out. And on the carton it says, warning, this carton may cause, and, and I was so paranoid and afraid. And I think so many Americans today this is one of our greatest fears. And so many people, they're always talking about, oh, well, did you know what? That's going to cause cancer. If you spend time with Pastor Ray, you're going to get cancer. No, not really. But, you know, if, if you, there's so many things we're always talking about. You know, you're, you're going to get cancer, and we're afraid, and we always try to, okay, what's the newest warning about this? But our message this morning is not about how to avoid cancer. The message this morning is about something far more deadly in fact, it's so deadly, the Bible says that every single person that will ever be born is going to be diagnosed with it. In fact, the Bible says that it, it will not only, it, well, it's not only the cause of why everybody dies, why there's death in the first place, but it can cause eternal death. 
And in fact, it's, it's not just death you have to worry about, but it's so um, putrid, it's so rancid that it wreaks havoc on your life. And it wreaks havoc to those around you. James chapter 1 says this, But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. The funny thing about sin is a lot of us have heard the warnings of the Bible. A lot of us have heard preacher after preacher. We've heard our Christian friends talk about sin. We've heard the warnings. But instead of seeing the warnings and being afraid, for most of us, we see the warnings and embrace it. For a lot of us, we see sin and we're not afraid of it, but we, with open arms... Get it close to us. And we become lovers of it. This morning, we're going to look at a man who didn't listen to the warnings of sin. It's going to come up, but we're going to look at the life of David when he was warned, when he knew the warnings, he embraced sin. And we're going to look at the place that it takes him. So if you have a Bible, open it up to 2 Samuel chapter 11. 2 Samuel chapter 11. Um, But before we read it, I want to give a little context because it's going to be important as we read this to understand it. So if you've been following along in our series, you've noticed that David's been doing pretty well, hasn't he? I mean, for the most part, David has been this heroic character who loves God. I mean, that's kind of why we chose this series because if you want to be a person after God's own heart, David's the guy. He hasn't been perfect. He's made mistakes. But for the most part, he's been on, on a trajectory to pursue God. And and things are going well because of that. God has made him king finally. His kingdom has been established. He's kind of established the borders. He's built a palace for himself in Jerusalem. In fact, he's gathered stuff to build the temple of God. He is doing well. He's kind of probably in his mid-40s to early 50s at this point. And he's pretty comfortable. It's kind of that place in a a person's career where they start to, you sit back and you're like, I've made it. I've arrived. The stresses of the earlier in life are gone, and he's comfortable. And that's important for us to know because it's going to clue us in to what's going on in chapter 11. So if you have your Bible out, chapter 11, verse 1. In the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabah, but David remained in Jerusalem. One evening, David got up from his bed and walked around on the roof of his palace. From the roof, he saw a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful, and David sent someone to find out about her. The man said, she is Bathsheba, the daughter of Iliam, and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Verse 4. Then David sent messengers to get her. She came to him, and he slept with her. Now she was purifying herself from her monthly uncleanness, and then she went back home. It's a shock. If you follow the life of David, it seems like he's made good decision after good decision after good decision, and all of a sudden we get here, and he does a 180. Why? Notice the first verse. What does it say? In the springtime when kings go off to war. You see, the author is trying to tell us something about David. He's trying to tell us David is comfortable. 
and he's letting his guard down. David is in a place in his life where, like we just said, he's, things are going pretty well. And it's, it, I kind of think of it like this. Have you ever had a new job and you're totally, like, your guard's up and you're, you're super into it? Like, you're there 10 minutes early, right, right before it because it's a new job. You know, if your boss walks in, you're like, okay, you, you know, you're never texting on the job. And your boss asks you to do something, you do it right away and you even, like, give a little latte to him. I'm thinking about doing that for like Ethan or Ray one time and see how it gets, because, you know, because I'm new. But anyway, you know, you're, you're trying to please because your guard is up. It's a new job. But what happens over time? You get what? Comfortable, right? And, and then your mindset is, well, you know, I can sleep in a little longer. No one else comes in on time anyway. And, you know, my boss is kind of a punk, so if they ask me something, I can wait a little bit on that, right? And you get comfortable and you get laid back. That's where David is. This is not the David that we've seen before, that he's the guy that's writing the Psalms, that's depending on God at every moment, saying, God, get me through this. God, I want to hold on to you. This is the David that's like, things are good. I don't need to go off to war. Instead Instead of him being in his armor right now in battle, he's in his pajamas on top of his palace taking a nap. And that's when sin comes in. That leads us to our first point that's going to come on the screen here. Sin always arises when our guards come down. That's our first warning this morning. Sin will always arise when our guards come down. David, he wasn't in a place where he was passionately seeking God. He's in a place where he's just moping around and he's bored. I always used to hear, you ever heard this phrase, a bored man is a what? dangerous man. A bored man is a dangerous man, and that's where he is. And, and maybe for you, you're in that stage of life. Maybe you're retired. You know, the, the, the years of the hardest work are gone now, and you're kind of, you're sitting back, you're watching reruns of Andy Griffith and Little House in the Prairie on Monday morning instead of going to the office, and life's good. But instead of those early years where you were seeking God and saying, God, help me to do my job well so I can provide for my family. God, help me to be a godly husband or a godly wife. God, I need you to get through this so I can live in this life. Instead of that, now you're at a place of, well, you know, I don't don't need to pray. I just need to think about, am I going to do a a matcha latte or a decaf latte? And now you're not relying on God. Or maybe you're here and you're in college and there was that semester before where you were so stressed that you were on your knees all the time, right? Dear God, help me to study. Help me to understand what, what in the world the professor's even talking about. Help me to do all the tests. And Lord, you know, if they can get in a car accident so I don't have to take the test, you know, maybe that would be, you know, you were just diligently seeking God, but maybe it's a new semester and it's pretty relaxed and instead you're sitting there in front of the TV on Netflix every day just, right? Instead of seeking God, instead of, being with godly friends to hold you accountable, you've just let your guards down and you're, yeah, whatever I want to watch, I'm going to watch. Whatever I want to listen to, I want to listen to. And temptation after temptation comes in. You see, the Bible says this. Are you guys with me? The Bible says that we have an enemy. The Bible says that Satan walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And the Bible says the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. And the Bible says that our hearts are wicked. And even if you're a believer in Christ, your flesh and the Holy Spirit inside you wage war against each other. Paul talks about it, that we're to wage war every day, that we're to put on the full armor of God in battle. 
Because we have an enemy whose whole purpose in life is to destroy you. And you know how he destroys you? It's with this thing called sin. Because sin is what separates us from God. Sin is the anti-God. It is everything opposite of what God is. Guess what? When you take a day off from being with the Lord, from surrounding yourself with godly people, from the Word of God, from having fellowship with God, when you take a day off, Satan and the evil forces out there don't. They don't. When you're sleeping, they're plotting. I know in my life, it's the days that I get up and I'm like, you know, things are pretty good. I'm not, I'm not going to take my time out to seek the Lord. I'm not, I'm not going to take my time out to pray. I'm not going to take my time out to read. It's those days that I get off of work and my wife is talking to me about something and those little passive-aggressive comments come out. Or it's those days when I allow, for some reason, I get more selfish than on the other days and I allow myself to hurt other people because of my selfishness. It's those days that I get irritated with other people for no reason and I allow little comments or or jealousy to come in or all of this stuff to come in. Because why? Because I've put my guard down and that's what David did. His guard wasn't up and he sees this woman and he knows better. But what does he do? You know what? I'm I'm just going to look a little longer than I should. No harm, no foul. She doesn't know. It's just a look. What does that do? It leads to lust. And then what does lust do? It leads to a plot. And then what does that do? It leads to him actually sending him out. Hey, go get her. Imagine the, the servant or whatever. The, like, hey, you know that's Uriah's wife. Yeah, I know. Get her. Do what I say. And that leads to adultery. Imagine if David at that moment, if that day was the day when David was writing a psalm and saying, Lord, may your word be my guard. May you be a lamp unto my feet. And imagine if that was the day of seeking the Lord. I wonder if it would have been different. Because I know for my life, the days when I get up and I get on my knees and I'm like, dear God, I need your grace today to help me through this, Lord. May I run the race with endurance. May I put on your armor, Lord. Will you set my mind on things above and not on things on earth? God, will you help me to focus on you? Will, will you set my mind on whatever is pure and whatever is lovely and whatever is good? God, will you help me because I need you? On those days when my guards are high, it seems like the gates of hell run in retreat instead of advance in victory, right? Do you know what I'm talking about? It's the days when you diligently say, God, I am in a fight, and I believe in you, and I believe there's an enemy, and I believe you're enough for me, so God, give me your full armor so I may be able to stand the attacks of the enemy. May this be a call and a warning for us this morning. Maybe it's time to get off the couch. Maybe it's time in your walk with Christ to re-armor yourself. Maybe it's time to surround yourself with godly people. Maybe it's time to repent of something. Maybe it's time to pick up. And what, I mean, what did David say? Your word have I hidden my heart so that I may not sin against you. Maybe it's time to stand up today, church. That's warning number one. But we've got to keep moving because there's more. So let's read the story. We left off. Where did we leave off? I think it was leaf, verse, leaf four. verse four. So she's purifying herself. And then the end of verse four, she went back home. So David's at a place. He thinks it's all good. He thought, you know what? It's a one-night stand. I got what I wanted. It's over. But then a month or two goes by, and he gets some news. What does verse 5 say? The woman conceived and sent word to David, saying, I am pregnant. 
This leads us to our second warning this morning, which is, it's going to come up, sin always takes us further than we intend to go. It always takes us further than we intend to go. David thought, you know, it's going to be a one-time deal, and it's going to be over. But let's look. You're going to see right now as we read that the one sin, it turns into more and more, and we're going to see a spiral downward. So read with me now verse 6. So David sent word to Joab, send me Uriah the Hittite. And Joab sent him to David, and when Uriah came to him, David asked him how Joab was, how the soldiers were, and how the war was going. Then David said to Uriah, go down to your house, wash your feet. So Uriah left the palace, and a gift from the king was sent after him. Let's stop there. So here's what's going on. David's at a place where he feels like he's arrived in his career. Things are good. He makes this mistake. All of a sudden, this woman's pregnant. He's got to cover it up. Imagine if word got out. He's like the commander-in-chief, the great warrior. Imagine if word got out to his soldiers, what would they be saying? You imagine when they're out to battle and David's like, home with you, hey, you think he's sleeping with your wife tonight or my wife tonight? What's going on with this king? The guy we're fighting for, we're out here, he's on our palace committing adultery with our wives. Imagine what would happen. And I think David's afraid. I think he's at a place of, I don't want to lose my kingdom. I have waited so long for this. I was under Saul. I defeated Goliath. I've been through so much. I'm not going to lose what I have. And so I'm going to cover it up. And all of a sudden, David, instead of being a man after God's own heart, he's a man that's pursuing sin full-heartedly to cover up. So it's kind of a comical thing. Imagine if you're Uriah. You're out in the battlefield. You get a letter. Hey, Uriah, you got to go see King David. Oh, okay, cool. Is this a promotion? You know, so you get there, and then you meet with Dave, and David's like, hi, Uriah, how you doing? I'm, I'm good. How's, how's the war going? It's good. Okay, hey, why don't you go home now? Have a good day. Okay. But what does Uriah do? What does Uriah do? Let's pick it up again. He says, go down to his house, but verse 9. But Uriah, but Uriah slept at the entrance of the palace with all his master servants and did not go down to the house. David was told Uriah did not go down home, so he asked Uriah, haven't you just come from a military campaign? Why didn't you go home? So David's like, what's going on? Go home to your wife. Because if you can go home to your wife, then people will think that you got her pregnant, and then we'll all be good. They don't have DNA testing. We'll be fine. Here we go. So Uriah said to David, verse 11, the ark and Israel and Judah are staying in tents. And my commander Joab and my lord's men are camped in the open country. How could I go to my house and eat and drink and make love to my wife? As surely as you live, I will not do such a thing. You see, the problem is, is Uriah is a man of integrity. And Uriah is a man who wants to be a man after God's own heart. And he's saying, you know what? If my men are, I'm not going to do that. And I want to follow God. And the funny thing is this. I'll bet you Uriah's hero And Uriah's role model that he grew up thinking about, thinking, you know what, I want to be a man after, I bet it's David. And I bet Uriah is like, you know what, I don't want to go out there because I want to be a man after God like my king. You see the spiral for David? After this, we're not going to read it for sake of time, but David, he's so stressed. He's like, okay, we'll stay one more night, man. Um, You know what? And then he's thinking, okay, I'm going to try to get him drunk, and if I get him drunk, he won't have as much integrity, and so then maybe he'll go with his wife. So now, I mean, look, what started with David, he let his guard down. It turned into a look that he shouldn't have been looking. It was compromised there, and then it turned into lust, and then it was a plot, and then it was action, and then it was an adultery, adulterous situation, and now it's lying 
It's deception, it's manipulation, it's getting your fellow soldier and brother in God drunk. You see the spiral of sin. This is how it works in our lives. This is what it does in our lives. How many people who struggle with addiction wish they could say, you know what, I wish I would have never taken that first drink. How many people with destroyed lives say, you know what, I wish at that party I would have just spit that pill out of my mouth, or I wish I would have thrown that blunt and never taken that puff, or I wish I would have never gone in that casino, or I wish I would have never looked at the first time at what I looked at. I wish I could take it all away, but now I'm engulfed and entrenched in it, and I can't fix it. See, that's what sin does. There was a man named Cain in the Old Testament Please don't ask me if he's my brother right now. He's plotting to kill his brother. God comes to him in his grace, and he says this, if I could find the page. He says, Cain, if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. But get this, what God says. This is the very first warning we ever see God talk about sin. He says this, sin is crouching at your door and its desire is for you. But you must rule over it. What's God telling Cain? He's saying, Cain, sin's sole desire is to wreak havoc upon your life and destroy you. It's not just going to be a one-and-done thing. David, it's not just going to be a one-night stand. And for you, maybe you've experienced this when you thought, you know, I'm just going to lie about my taxes this one time because I really had a bad year and I just got to make the money. But then, all of a sudden, you're getting a tax audit. Okay, now I've got to cover it up. I've got to figure out this. How do I make up a receipt that I don't have? Or maybe for you, it's like, I'm going to lie to my parents that one time. And then your parents are like, hey, I know you said this but what about A, B, and C here? And that doesn't really make sense. And they're like, oh, well, that's because of this. And you see, you start, spir- it's more and more lies, right? Or, you know what, I'm going to steal this from my office. And then people start questioning. And they're like, okay, well, I've got to figure out. Maybe I can cast blame here. And it spirals, and it spirals, and it spirals. And that's the second warning today is sin always takes us further than we intend to go. It's deadly. We can't handle it. And our enemy knows that. Let's read on so we can find our third warning. Are you still with me? So the story gets darker. David, he can't get him to go with his wife. He can't cover it up. And so he says this. It's going to come up on the screen right now. Our next text in verse 14. In the morning, David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it with Uriah. In it he wrote, put Uriah out in front where the fighting is fiercest, then withdraw from him so he will be struck down and die. In order for David to cover up his sin, he gives a man his death sentence and he doesn't even know it and he takes it with him. Imagine that, Uriah. He's like, okay, here Uriah, here's a little letter. Will you take that back to Joab? wonder if Uriah thought, maybe that's David like giving me a recommendation. Maybe that's David saying like he had a good time and I'm a good man. Maybe David was impressed by my integrity of not going home to my wife. And he's going to get, little did he know it's his death sentence. Our third point this morning is that sin can never be contained. It can never be contained. David kept trying to cover it up. But this is what happens. He sends the letter. 
Joab obeys. He sends Uriah out with some other men. They withdraw from him. The arrows come down. And they not only kill Uriah, but they kill a ton of the other king's men. So David's sin is not just killing one man, but it kills a lot of other men. And then Joab gives one of his servants. He says, here's a letter. Send it back to David. Let him know that I did what he told me to do. And then let's look at David's response in verse 25. The messenger comes to David and he says, David, you know, Uriah is dead. All these men are dead. And David says this. David told the messenger, verse 25, say this to Joab. Don't let this upset you. The sword devours one as well as another. Press the attack against the city and destroy it. Say this to encourage Joab. Verse 26, when Uriah's wife heard that her husband was dead, she mourned for him. After the time of mourning was over, David had her brought to his house. She became his wife and bore him a son. But the thing David had done displeased the Lord. I think in David's mind, he got away with it. I imagine for him it was a, it's over. She bore him a son. That means like a year went by at least to where David thought, it's covered up, it's good. The reality is, even if you think you've covered it up, that sin that you did so long ago, or what you're doing right now, if you think that it's hidden, it cannot be contained. There's two reasons why. One is, because if you're a Christian, the Bible says what? All things are naked and exposed to him who we must give an account. And the Bible says that God looks down on the sons of men, and what does he do? He watches the evil and the good. And the Bible says that one day when we die, there's going to be books opened. And there's going to be a courtroom. And your deeds will be read. Because God sees all things. But if you're here this morning and you're like, well, I don't really believe in God. I'm not really a Christian. Well, that's okay because we're going to, I want to talk to you about something here. There's another way sin exposes itself. And you don't have to be a Christian to know this. As you hide your sin, and maybe this happened to you. You did something wrong. You wouldn't call it sin, but you did, you did it wrong. You didn't tell anybody about it. felt like you got away with it. But for some odd reason, it comes back. You lay your head down at night, and some random times you, you can't help but think about that thing that you did. And you try to, you know, you try to suppress it. Okay, I'm going to think about something else. Happy thoughts. Get that, get that away from me. But then it comes up other times. You may forget about it for six months, but then you're at a family gathering, and randomly, out of nowhere, it, it, it pops up. You're at a funeral and it pops up. You're, you're out and about. And, 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 and even though you don't like thinking about it, you can't get rid of it. Why is that? Well, see, our society would say, well, that's because you have a conscience, right? You know, because of that, it kind of tells you when you've done stuff wrong and you've got to learn to deal with that. But where did that come from? You just evolve and for some reason you have this feeling of right and wrong that comes back? You see, the Bible says that you have a conscience because God has written his law on your heart. What that means is that God has given you a way of knowing when you have cancer inside you. Just like your body, like my sister, when those tumors were growing so huge that her nerves and her organs were screaming out, there's something wrong in here. God, in His grace and love for us, has given us His heart and the law on our hearts so that when we hold sin and we try to hide it, our body and our conscience and everything says there's something wrong. 
There's something inside me that's killing me, and it's cancer. i got to get it out. And that's why you see men who have had affairs 30 years later, randomly they'll say, hey, I had an affair. It's like, what, you waited 30 years? Why? I had to get it out. I couldn't go another year not telling anybody. Sin cannot be contained because it is cancerous. Our three warnings are, when we let our guards down, sin will rise. Our second warning is, when sin will always take us further than we intend to go, and our third is it cannot be contained. But there's still one question we haven't answered that I think you're probably wondering about. What happens to David? God saw it. Does David, I mean, does God strike David dead? Lightning comes down, it's over. That doesn't happen. I don't want to spoil next week's message, but the reality is David stays a king. And he's still held as a biblical hero for many. How did did God do that? How How did God... Look at David in all of this mess, in the lust, in the adultery, in the cover-up, in the lies, in the manipulation, in the murder of not just one man, but many, and then taking his wife, and then thinking, all is good. How did God just say, you know what, David? You're good. Is that a just God? Is that the kind of God we worship that he's like, yeah, you know, people can do horrible, wicked, sick things. It's whatever. It's good. How did God do it? The way God can do it, it's going to come up on the slide here, is because when, while one king let others die to save himself, another king let himself die to save others. You see, God made David a promise before this. You know what that promise was? God said to David, David, I am going to use your kingdom, I'm going to give you sons, and guess what? Your reign is never going to end, David, and I'm going to make a promise and a covenant with you, and out of this covenant, something big is going to come, something great is going to come from your line. David didn't know what it was, but God, did you know what it was? It's called the Messiah. You see, the reason why David wasn't struck dead right then was because God was able to look at David in all of this sin and say, David, I hate what you did. David, I see your sin, and it's the opposite of everything I am and everything I stand for. And David, I have to punish this. And David, it's wicked and it's wrong, but I've got to rain judgment on this. So you know what, David? I love you. And even though you don't know it, I've got this plan that's coming through your line. And his name is Jesus. And you know what, David? When Jesus is tempted, he's not going to give in to temptation. You know what, David? When Jesus has moments of temptation with sin, he's never going to give in. And you know what, David? Instead of letting others die for himself, he's going to give himself for people like you. David, when he's in the Garden of Gethsemane and he's sweating bullets of blood saying, God, if there's any other way but the cross, please take it away. You know what, David? I'm going to tell him, you know, no, Jesus, you have to go to the cross because of men like David, because we want to be with them. We want to have a way of forgiveness. And the only way it's possible is if you go to the cross, so go. David, that's how I can forgive you. Yes, I'm going to punish your sin, but it's, it's going to happen with my own son for you. That's how David wasn't struck dead. And that's how we, if you're like me, you have skeletons in your closet. If you're like me, you got stuff you don't want other people to know about sometimes. And you got stuff that you're ashamed of. But guess what? Because of the cross of Christ, you can be free. 
You want to know how my sister, what happened to her? Well, praise God, she's alive right now. She's married, and she has a son when the doctor said, you'll never have kids. You know how she did it? Went to the doctors, and she said, the doctors said, hey, this is what we need to do. And she said, well, you know what? I don't need you guys. I'm going to have vegetables, essential oils, and I'm going to live in the wilderness. That's not what happened. No. <laughs> no offense if you're an all-natural person. I know that you yeah. My wife's trying to get me on essential oils, but I, anyway. Yeah, right. <laughs> so, how, what happened to her? She looked at it. We went to the doctors, and the doctor says, you know what? You probably, you probably got three weeks. We got to give you all the radiation we could possibly give you, all the chemo we could possibly give you to the point where it may kill you. But if you don't do it, you're going to die anyway. So let's give it all it got. You know what she said? She said, I believe and I trust and I have faith that what you're saying is true, so give me all you got. In a year, well, it was horrible. It was terrible. She got down to like 80 pounds. She lost all of her hair. She suffered horribly, but she's alive now. And guess what? It's the same with Jesus. We have to come to a place where we say, God, I have cancer. My sin is inside me. The tumors are inside me. And even if I'm hiding it, and even if no one else can tell, it's inside me and it's killing me. It's killing my heartbeat, God. But I believe in the cross of Christ. And I need you to save me. And I need you to do this for me, Jesus. I believe in you now. Save me. Give me all you got. If you're here this morning and you don't know Christ, today's the day. If you're here and you've been hiding your sin, today's the day. The Bible says that if we confess our sin, He is faithful and just to not only forgive you of your sin, but He cleanses you from all unrighteousness. He doesn't just say, I forgive you, but He takes the tumors out and says it's done. If you're not a Christian, today's the day. If you are a Christian, you've been hiding sin, today's the day to confess. And I'm not saying you need to stand up in the pool and say, oh, I've done this. You know what? Well, we can have tact, right? You can come talk to a pastor afterwards and say, hey, how, how do I talk to my family about this? How, how do I bring this to light? But you've got to get it out. You've got to run to Christ. And if you're here this morning and you think, I've got it all covered, I'm good, remember the words where God says, if anyone thinks he stand, take heed lest he fall. Get your guards up. We're in a battle. We're in a fight. Arm yourself with the Word of God. Arm yourself with the church. Get in the fight. I'm going to close with one quote by a man named John Owen. He says, When someone sets his affection on the cross and the love of Christ, he crucifies the world as a dead and undesirable thing. The baits of sin lose their attraction and disappear. Fill your affections with the cross of Christ and you will find no room for sin.